Self-care game podcast should not be considered as or replaced with therapy. If you're currently experiencing a mental health crisis, please reach out to your local mental health authority or the suicide crisis hotline. What's up, gang? It's Desiree, a.k.a. It's Desi Cakes. And this week we had Lindsay on the podcast, and she is a sex therapist. And our conversation was so good with Lindsay that we didn't really feel the need to um, update you guys on any hot topics. So without further ado, let's get into sex therapy. Okay, guys. So for our main segment today, we're going to talk about all things sex therapy and couples therapy with my very good friend, Lindsay Luther, who I went to grad school with. Um, she's also an LPC. She's also a CRC like myself, I believe. Yes, right? right Lindsay? Yeah, I am. Okay. <laughs> I'm a CRC too. Yes, we went through the same grad program and it's, it was me, her, and Monica. We were like the three amigos in grad school. <laughs> And I would not have gotten to grad school without them. But yeah, Lindsay's specialty is sex therapy, couples therapy. And it's just been such an honor like, to see you grow into your niche and figure out like what things that you love. Um, so Lindsay, I just want you to kind of just introduce yourself, talk a little bit about your specialty and what got you into sex therapy and couples therapy. Like what happened to get you there? Sure. So yeah, kind of like you said, I'm a sex therapist and licensed professional counselor. And I just started my own practice, actually. It's called Relationship Matters Therapy. Um, and it is specializing in sex therapy and relationship counseling. Um, and I also work with individuals on the spectrum, whether that's um, an individual on the spectrum that's in a relationship or just them coming by themselves. Like that's another area that I like to specialize in. And then just how I got into sex therapy. It's just always been something that I wanted to do. I think um, anytime a topic is taboo, it always kind of catches my eye. I'm like, I want to know more about that. I'm like, how can I help in this area? And when I started um, doing the, the continuing education for sex therapy and um, working towards, you know, my ASEC certification, part of taking those classes is you have to have hours, just like it is when you get your license, you have to have so three, I think it's 300 hours directly about sexuality. And so when I started really practicing in that arena and like getting clients, naturally couples just started coming to me. Cause when you're talking about sex, a lot of times there's, if someone is coming to a sex therapist, they're not having sex that they want with their partner or their partners. And mm -hmm. so I started seeing couples just kind of automatically. And so I really, I just jumped right in. I was like, this is what I want to do. I'm going to jump in. And I learned that I really loved it because um, I'm a very, I guess, direct person. And it's really nice to, when you have a couple, it's like, you can be direct, you can guide them to a way that is better than the way they're trying to communicate now. Mm -hmm. Um, and part of sex therapy is also education. So sometimes people will come in and, and the first part isn't necessarily me jumping into therapy. It's me educating them. So mm -hmm. I think to me, that's really exciting and fun to see kind of the light bulb go off and see what they do with that information. Yeah. yeah. Imagine. Well, I am super excited to have you on because I feel like myself, as well as many, many other people, um, probably have never seen a sex therapist and have just like a lot of questions and like, how do you, um, well, like, 
I kind of understand, but just for our audience, how do you differentiate between like regular therapy and sex therapy? Mm-hmm. So sex therapy is a lot of it is very similar to a traditional therapist. So when you come in, a lot of people are probably still coming in with some kind of mental illness, whether it's depression, anxiety, whether it's something more severe, they're coming in with that. And so to me, it's good to have this mental health background because I know how to work with these clients, but a lot of it is tailored to issues around sexuality, but also how, how sexuality is affecting them otherwise. So if they're distressed over their sex life or how they identify sex, sexually or whatever the case may be, it's probably affecting them in other areas too, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think the point of a sex therapist is just a lot of our training comes from from sex education basically and it's like how do our bodies work what are you know trauma responses in regards to sex like how do we communicate about sex right that's another big one that I think us as therapists I can't think when I think about grad school I can't think of just a ton of classes around sexuality right I don't know if I don't think we had just a lot of sexuality training and so a lot of it is even just communicating about sex and creating that open space to where sex can be discussed and what is underneath the surface that's getting in the way of having the sex that you want. And I do want to clarify too, that sex therapists, it really is just another form of talk therapy. I, I get questions mm-hmm. sometimes like, do you have sex with your clients? Do you watch your clients have sex together? Mm-hmm. And there was, there is an episode actually of Grey's Anatomy where one of the patients in the hospital is a sex therapist. And he's like in the hospital bed, like on his computer and he's watching this couple have sex and he's like, oh, I'm in session right now. And I'm like, that what? is not at all what we do. Like no clothes come off. We do not cross any boundaries as far as that goes. It is just talking and mm-hmm. giving guidance and, and giving education that can help that particular client. So I do always want to clarify that. Okay. So is sex therapy typically a couple's thing or, if it's, or is it just individual? It can be both. So it can be individual okay. or, or couples because I primarily see couples. I mostly see couples for sex therapy, but it can be individual as well. So a common example, um, cause sex therapists work with like kink or poly relationships or open relationships. So sometimes individuals come in maybe wanting to explore alternative relationship styles and they're coming in just to process that. Like, well, what does this mean about me if I'm just Hiring these things so sometimes they might they might be in a relationship or might be interested in certain things and don't really know what to do with that and so that would be a good example of an individual coming in hmm. mm, that's interesting so do you see a lot of people that are um like you mentioned um curious about their sexuality and trying to figure out their sexuality in general like how we're kind of like in the last I would say few years has been more open with um pronouns and like learning different sexualities learning different um you know the lgbt community so do you have a lot of clients like that as well i I do yeah i really do and whether it's someone who is transgendered who maybe is in the middle of their transition or someone who is feeling like i don't really identify with the gender that i have like what does that mean What, what is even the process to um to transition. But then it's also about, like, I know the more the years go by, the more acceptance there is for the LGBTQIA plus community, but it's, there's still such a stigma, right? And so sometimes it might be someone. (laughs) 
Right. I'm sorry, <laughs> I but not, you said that so smoothly. Can you say that again? Because so I cannot remember you all say, of you the say letters. it right correctly? I'm sorry to interrupt yeah, you. Yeah, no, it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> it's, LGBT, it's LGBTQIA+. Do you want me to go over what all that means? Yes. Yeah, because I was about to ask okay. you, like the different sexual identities, orientations, mm-hmm. pronouns, like what's the difference, in, difference between all that? Because I'm sure all of us get it mixed up. And I know I do because that's not my specialty, but yeah, I would like to know just for, you know, my own personal reason. <laughs> yeah. So L is lesbian and uh, G is gay. I got I to gotta think I'm ahead to LGB. So B is bisexual. Uh-huh. T is um, trans. Q is queer. And then I is intersex and A is asexual. Right. And the, so and the A on the end, asexual is when you're not interested in having sex, not just with your partner, but with anybody. You just have never had an interest in sex, don't want to have sex. Um, Nothing makes you want to have sex. And that's okay too, right? And so sometimes someone may be asexual and maybe doesn't know and feels like something is wrong with them. And so it's good to inform them that that is a a sexual orientation that you can identify with. Okay. So is that like a chemical thing, asexual? Is that just, I don't know. Is it like just a personal decision or genetics? I'm curious. I don't know. Yeah, I don't think enough research has been done on it for any of us to like explicitly say what the reasoning for that would be. Mm -hmm. Um, It could be their personal experience. It could just be their preference. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know, right? It's kind of hard to say. Yeah. Yeah. So with the Q, can you kind of clarify that a little bit more with queer? Because I always thought like kind of growing up, queer and gay were kind of like interchangeable in in Mm -hmm. my from my understanding so can you tell us like the difference so gay typically is associated with like a a man who is attracted to other men typically and then l you know lesbian is a woman who's attracted to other women queer is individuals that could be attracted to both which i know it's bisexual but also individuals that are attracted to like non-binary individuals that are attracted to trans individuals. Like a queer person is attracted to all types of individuals, not just like the opposite, mm-hmm. not just the same sex or not just both genders. Does that make sense? So it, it's, it's a lot more of attraction to those non-binary individuals, people that maybe just have like the they, them pronouns and then um, transgendered individuals too. Wow, that makes so. I didn't know that. Well, Liz, mm-hmm. what about the, <laughs> is there a plus at the end? Is there a plus at the end of that? Yeah, there's a plus at the end. And so um, there can be a long list of things there as well. Um, I'm not really, I'm not really sure what else to share about that. Um, Cause I think it, I think it's pretty much all in, encompassed in what the acronym okay. is. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's but I think like they add the to like not leave anyone out. I think so. It's just like a placeholder. And I think they add that there too, because like, I think when, if you really dig deep, it can be all about like what your sexual desires are. Like if you're a person that has kinks or fetishes, like, are you going to be unprotected? You know, like, are you, um, vulnerable and like weird, so to say, because you are interested in things that are outside of the norm. So the plus kind of includes, a lot of other things that are outside of this norm that we have as a society, I think. Okay. So that probably includes pansexual, right? Yes, it does. What exactly is pansexual? 
Um, pansexual. Yeah, pansexual is a lot like queer. Mm. It's very similar to queer. And so I think pansexual might be a part of that queer, like Q that's in that acronym. Yeah. Okay. And so sexual sexuality, that's the LGBTQ part, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. But sexual orientation, is that different? Like when did, where does the pronouns and all that come in? So the pronouns is about what you recognize as gender wise. So okay. like I am like a cis. So when, when someone says like I'm a cis female, that means like I was born a female. I recognize as a female. My pronouns are she, she, her, hers, right? Mm-hmm. But um, like the pronouns as far as like gender, you know, if you're they, them, theirs, that means that you're non-binary. That means you don't recognize as any gender. You're not going to recognize as male or female. You're just a person. I want to be called they. And then, you know, he, him, his is the male gender identity. And, and it's, um, and that's why it's called, you know, transgender, because like, if you're, if you were born as a female, but you're transitioning to a male, then, then it's okay for you to say I was born as a female, but now I identify as a male. And so I want to go by these pronouns. Does that make sense? Yes. So they wouldn't be a cis female. They'll be a trans female. Yeah, exactly. So when you, so if you say like trans female, that means that you're a man who's transitioned to a woman. If you say trans male, that's a woman who's transitioned to a man. So you would say, I'm a trans man, but if they had not transitioned, they did not want to recognize as any differently than what they were born. Then they would say, I'm a cis female. Okay. That makes sense. That makes sense. Okay. This is like, that's right. A lot has changed over these past few years. And I think some people may look at it as, people doing too much I think especially within the black community and I'm not saying that but I think a lot of people do say that because I wasn't exposed to even a transgender or someone trans um transitioning until grad school yeah Mm -hmm. I think it's been I'm glad I mean this wasn't even like the direction that we have planned on going with this conversation (laughs) but I'm glad we're having it because it can be overwhelming and like you don't want to say the wrong thing or because you know cancel culture is here and ready and waiting so it's like on one hand you just like honestly maybe uneducated and don't even know what any of this means so Mm -hmm. I'm glad we're having this conversation yeah me too. yeah and i and i think um as far as like saying the wrong thing saying the wrong pronouns i've done that like even though i i am knowledgeable in this area i've done that even with a client before and i didn't mean to it's just that um you can get tripped up right and i think all you have to do is just say i'm so sorry i meant to say you know whatever their pronoun was and then you just move on like i would not make a big deal out of it because i think people that are going by different pronouns they know that they need to give people time especially their families if your family's always known you as a male and then you're transitioning to a female i think it's only natural that those close to you are still going to get tripped up in the pronouns maybe even call you by your by your old name mm-hmm. um but as long as you just apologize and say i'm so sorry i meant to say this and move on then that's okay. I think where it gets really offensive is when people do it on purpose. And that can always be really rude, like invalidating. And that's where it gets really hurtful because they know they're doing it and they're going to continue doing it anyways. Yeah. Mm, Okay. So I'm also curious to find out like, how does um, like somebody's ethnicity or um, history of trauma affect them like sexually? And we can hit it like in categories. Cause I'm wondering how like sex 
presents um, or if you know anything about how sex presents in like in the black, black community or how they present like in their couples therapy and sex therapy and stuff like that. So there is this myth, and I was actually going to talk about the state, there is this myth that trauma, um, without a doubt is going to affect your sexuality as an adult. And so one big myth is like, if you if you've experienced trauma, that will make you more likely to be in a homosexual relationship. That is not true. There's no data to prove that um, because sexual trauma affects everybody differently. And some people when they experience sexual trauma very young, Maybe they grow up and have a lot of casual sex. Maybe they have a lot of risky sex or maybe they grow up and they're closed off to sex completely. Right. Mm -hmm. And there's no rhyme or reason to say like, this is why that, this is why this, because it's all such an individual experience. Mm -hmm. And so I do like to talk about that one. Cause that one's a big myth. Like, Oh, well they're gay because they went through this as a child. And it's like, not really. <laughs> That's, there's no, mm -hmm. no truth behind that. I've heard some homosexual yeah. men say, if I didn't get molested as a child, I think I'll be straight. And I just kind of feel like if you're homosexual, I just feel like it's kind of something that just happens. I don't think like you can mm -hmm. be influenced or anything to like the same okay. sex. Personally, that's what I think. And there, I have some cousins. I'm sorry. Oh, I was just going to say that there are, there have been men that have been uh, sexually assaulted by someone of, of the same sex and then they grew up and still were heterosexual and just like are very closed off to the idea mm -hmm. of being homosexual so yeah. i think yeah i i agree with what you're saying i actually know someone who is um is a lesbian and look i had to think about it i was gonna say it's gay but she's a woman she's a she's a mm -hmm. lesbian and um it, it was thought by uh the family that she was a lesbian because of like seeing uh, a negative relationship with her her father and mother like seeing their bad relationship and just like saying I don't want to deal with men and I, I want to be a lesbian but I'm glad that you said that there's no research that supports any of that mm. yeah yeah there's no there's no research there's no facts there's no data that that supports that it's just simply not true yeah. and you know it's one of those things where it's like I'm sure there's um there's people in homosexual sexual relationships that have experienced trauma in the past that's not the reason why they're attracted to the same sex you know what I mean like yeah. that can happen but that's not the reason why yeah mm -hmm. um, and that, that would kind of be more so um proving the idea you know when you think nature versus nurture it would be trying mm -hmm. to say that you can be you know the belief that you just choose to be this way instead of or because of your experiences instead of like being born this way so that's kind of like an insult as well to the people in that this particular community because you're you're saying that they had a choice in this yeah, yeah. exactly and some people just know from a very young age that they're not straight <laughs> they just know I, that's and... what I was about to say I have a cousin we all knew he was gay growing up like every mm. like as a baby as a toddler we knew that man was gay and it was nothing wrong like we accepted him of course but we just always knew we just always knew mm-hmm yeah and we talked and I know that um earlier on we mentioned uh, like in the black community and and religion making these topics very difficult to talk about. Um, I had a client and this wasn't a black client, but it was a minority client um, mm -hmm. that came from a very Catholic family and mm -hmm. was gay and knew at a very young age. I mean, like child, like he knew I'm, I am not having like crushes on little girls. Right. Mm -hmm. And he said that he knew he was, but he was afraid to come out because he knew his parents would be okay with it. And he went to church one time. I just was a Catholic church and they put on this play 
and it was like the train to hell and everyone on the train was like gay people drug dealers like prop like sex workers um all the all the quote-unquote like bad people who are bad to society were like on this train to hell and he it, it convinced him it convinced him so much like I'm gay I'm going to hell and so like he tried to fight it and by the time I saw him he was a teenager and he didn't want to say it. he didn't want to say it to me he didn't want to admit it and I had to kind of open up the door like you know I'm not going to judge you or shame you if there's something that you want okay. to say yeah and I think that's a lot with I think that probably presents a lot in the black community well I know it does for sure especially when it comes to homosexuality but just when it comes to sex and um in general in the black community because you know black women get shamed at a young age for for being fast because a lot of black women as kids we tend to develop a little bit quicker you know more booty more mm. boobs and if it, we were talking about this on a past episode and if you're one of those black little girls that are a little bit more thicker people automatically assume that you're having sex or being fast or doing something like that um and how religion plays a big role in the black community as far as when it comes to sex when it comes to I feel like when it comes to couples therapy like when black people get um when they're about when they get engaged and they do premarital therapy I think it's always most of the time it's through the church it's not through a licensed professional um and I really almost feel like sex therapy for black people I don't think people black people really go to sex therapy or couples therapy just in general Right. Like I that's said, just I, my personal opinion though. I have a, um, well, I was telling y'all earlier that I have a cousin that's a sex therapist and um, I, I thought it was like weird that she was a sex therapist. I was like, oh my goodness. Like, I didn't even know. <laughs> like, <laughs> it, it was like, and, and because she's a sex therapist, like I'm sure like our family members probably talk to her like off the record about stuff, but I, I still haven't seen our family be more open about even going to regular therapy, let alone sex therapy. You know, it's kind of just like when those taboo subjects, like, oh, she's a therapist. Like they yeah. don't say she's a sex therapist. It's a lot of shame around sex in the black community. And I'm just at the point where I don't care, honey. Um, <laughs> all that. It was, I don't know what helped me come into my sexuality um, a few years ago, but I really, I would have to thank social media, honestly, um, because I was like on social media and I was just noticing how so many black women, but not just black women, but just women in general, how they were talking about how they never had an orgasm or they never climaxed or anything like that. And from just seeing that so much, when I had sexual interaction, I start telling people that I wasn't climaxing. You didn't make me come. Mm -hmm. Not trying to be rude or nothing, but don't be sitting here trying to have sex with everybody. You know, men, they love to have a lot of, not all men, but some in this generation, you know how in this society, it's really encouraged for men to have sex. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's really more accepted. Don't be trying to be out here having sex with all these women and you can't even do it right. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, if you're going to be out here having sex with a lot of women, make sure you're making all of us come. And I just don't like that. <laughs> well, I think so. A couple things. So, as far as like with like a woman coming, like having an orgasm, um, one big thing that I always say is that at the end of the day, we are ultimately responsible for our orgasm. So, if we're not having one, we have to communicate with them because they're not there. There's some form of pleasure that's missing that's preventing us from having one. And whether that's them doing it 
quote unquote wrong or not the way that works for us. Like it also could be a mental block within us. Like, are we fully relaxed? Are we fully ready for pleasure when we're having sex with them? Mm -hmm. And so talking about sex is so important and it's something that we don't do, right? Like if the sex is bad or we're not having sex or something is wrong, we tend, we typically like tend to just not talk about it or maybe like a quick conversation. It's not really an in-depth conversation. And with, with men, um, having like for it to be okay for men to have sex with all these, all these women, um, men like tie it into their manhood. And so I like, I'll give you an example. I've seen couples where the woman's libido is higher than the man's and they don't really want to talk about it because to them it's emasculating. It's like, well, I'm not a man because I don't want to have sex as much or something wrong with me. But really, there's nothing wrong with that, with not wanting to have sex all the time. And then when we talk about Black men, um, something that I wanted to share is just going back historically, like to slave times. Okay, so slavery really did not respect the sanctity of marriage, because what happened is a lot of Black men had to have sex with multiple women to have multiple black babies to raise more slaves for the masters, right? So when you look at like historically, they were made to think like, I have to have sex with all these women to have all these babies because I, that's like my role as this slave to this master. Yeah. And so when you look historically, that makes sense, right? Like there's this trend that happens. And of course I know that we're not in slave times anymore, but, but knowing that information matters because back then it was pretty much like required of them. It's in our DNA. Wow. Mm -hmm. You just really connected and made the light bulb go off. You know, I love connecting everything back to slavery. I'd be like, look, mm -hmm. this happened back in slavery, <laughs> and, but it really makes sense though. Yeah. And if you think about how, like a lot of the trauma just continues in the black community, just like, um, if we go past slavery times and then we just go into like, um, Jim Crow era, era and just um, how they took black men out the homes because, you know, they had to be in prison or it was a requirement not to be in the home in order to re receive like federal assistance. I feel like putting black men or just black families in positions like that, in vulnerable positions like that, it will probably increase like the likelihood of somebody cheating. Does that make sense? Or being it does yeah it does and like when you and so all all of this like socioeconomic stuff it all ties into sex somehow it just does mm -hmm. and so when you look at um like our prison system even though the majority of our population is not black people they're still a huge population in the prison system you, we know there's a bunch of unfairness and unjust there right mm -hmm. and so in these black communities you have families that are like uh single parent homes that are fighting, you know, poverty, racial discrimination. Like you have a lot of black families just trying to survive. And mm -hmm. so where does sex education come into that? Like it doesn't because there's not time for it. And then if there's a lot of conflict in the home because this family is just trying to survive and try to like have food on the table, there's a lot of conflict in the home. There's studies and research that have been done to show that when there's a lot of conflict in the home, the children in the home are exposed to sex a lot earlier Mm -hmm. And not through necessarily like comprehensive sex education. It's like their sexual experiences are happening a lot younger. And that's when like the unwanted pregnancies come up because they don't know how to prevent that. And like STDs mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and, um, and, and rape <laughs> and not even knowing like yeah. what consent looks like. And so all of this ties together somehow. And I don't think we as a society think about that sometimes. 
I never thought of it that way. Like never. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. That that makes a lot of sense for to me. Because sometimes I just be like, damn, why some of these black men they just can't be faithful? Like you know, you know what I mean? It's like, it's like damn, is this like, something about me? But I'm. It, but this kind of just makes me realize it. It possibly could be deeper. Like you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Because I've had clients who were exposed to sex at an early age, like basically seeing like their parents have sex in front of them. Like, you know what I mean? That's traumatic. Yeah. Like just stuff like that. Yeah. Just stuff like that or being exposed to sex early. So you thinking sex is a part, yeah, sex is a part of a relationship, but thinking like, that's how you get a man. That's how you keep a man, stuff Mm -hmm. like that. I feel like we get influenced in those type of ways at at an early age and then having kids and then seeing so many people around us that's black and young having kids too and thinking it's normal like you know what I mean so I think that ties in a lot with the black community as well you really connected the dots for me I, re- I want to like read more research on that I'm really interested in that yeah, yeah. And, when, and when we talk about consent you know if you're made to feel like you have to have sex before you're really ready to is that really consent you know what I mean? Like if you're not really choosing that you want to do it and like consent gets really tricky because everyone, you know, a lot of people just think like, oh, if neither part, if neither party said no and they had sex, and they were fine after, then that's consent, but not really. Right. Because sure. if you, if you feel like you have no other choice or you don't really want to do it, but you feel like you have to do it. The sexual coercion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's not like truly healthy consent. Yeah. And I think that's the part that we forget to talk about when it comes to consent and rape culture in general. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really big in the black black community too that needs to be discussed. Because if you think about the Bill Cosby's and the R. Kelly's and shit, the T.I.'s now. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> allegedly. <laughs> allegedly, yeah, we got to throw out the edge, allegedly. But if you just think about that, like sexuality is very different in the black community. I'm on here like, wow, I just never like really connected the dots like that. Really, like that whole slave. Oh my gosh, like that just really that got me. That made me teary eye (laughs) because like I just think about how many black men like are out here just willy nilly. Like, like I think about college. Like, oh my gosh, like. And you see the potential in them, like you, you see like, okay, like you actually have sense and you want to go far in life, mm-hmm. but it's like, you can't help the, but the sexual, um, it just urge. has a hold on them sometimes. Yeah. And now mm-hmm. we see why, like we think about our trauma and our reaction to things. We think about mm-hmm. the things that we're trying to overcome. Well, black men are also trying to overcome. Not that it's an excuse. <laughs> there are any black men listening to this, Yeah, but mm-hmm it does give some idea of why this has been so widely accepted for so mm-hmm. long. Yeah, that's definitely. That's a good point about it not being an excuse, right? Because that's another thing that I go over, even with individuals. If you feel disrespected by your partner, you can understand why, if it is something historical or it's like the messages they received about sex, but you also don't have to continue being disrespected. You know right, what I mean? Yeah. You can choose like, I'm going to do better than this or I'm going to go a different direction, but at least you can understand where yeah. a lot of that is coming from. And, and in couples work, a lot of it is going over emotions that are behind the behavior. So a lot of times there's this behavior and there's fights going on and the partners are on different pages. Oftentimes there's a lot going on behind that, that is yeah. not being talked about. And it's even just messages you received 
about sex or about relationships as a child. You mm-hmm. know, it really all does go back to childhood. I truly strongly believe that, that the messages you got from your parents and your family, that's going to mm-hmm. shape who you are as an adult and how you are in your relationships. And so sometimes it's us just talking about that. Like, what is that attachment that you're missing that you didn't get from childhood that you're trying to get now mm-hmm. and the way that you're going about that? Yeah. My sex talk from my, my family, um, which was my mom was don't have sex like my mom had me she got pregnant with me her first semester in college and like dropped out and you know all that got married all that but her sex talk was just don't have sex like and so that was all that I knew about sex was just to not have it and then when I started having sex it was just like I don't know what any of this means like I don't know what I'm supposed to be like looking for in a sexual partner would I or like mm-hmm. even you know sex ed what we have that like once in our life <laughs> like, mm-hmm. it's, like I, I never had sex ed honestly not at my school I didn't I never had sex ed. we we had sex ed and it was our softball coach and I will okay I'm gonna be like real with y'all right now so <laughs> I remember this thing she said and it like it just appalled me like I like this to this day this was like 15 years ago it still sticks with me because I was like 16 or 17 at the time when this softball coach was like teaching sex ed and I I had already been sexually active I was already having sex with my boyfriend at the time and of course we didn't know what we were doing we both came from this super small town no one ever spoke to us about sex we were just like having fun but we didn't really know (laughs) like what we were doing was okay and there was one time that we had sex and I was on my period right so that happened before and then I remember in this sex ed class she said, she's like, I don't know why anyone would ever want to do that. It's the most disgusting thing in the world. Like if you have sex in your period, like you're disgusting and like should not be having sex. That was what she said to the class. So of course me being like young and kind of impressionable, I was like, oh my God, there must be something wrong with us because that one time that we did that. And then it, it like changed my mind on it. Like I remember being in high school, like, man, I don't even know if I want to have sex anymore now that I know this piece of information how wrong that was and so that's just one example where like if you get misinformation (laughs) that can change your view of sex and it doesn't even need to because it's not even true right yeah like that from my understanding that's pretty like that's not I'm I'm not saying as I've gotten older I've heard period sex is just pretty normal it's very normal it's very normal and sometimes that's when you're in the mood to have sex the most and all you have to do is just put something down on the bed and then you go for it right it's very normal and a lot of people do it and now that I know that I look back on that experience with this teacher telling us like how disgusting we would be if we ever wanted to do that and I'm like why would she ever have said that what what a horrible message I wonder what how that stigma started I mean me personally I can't do it because I feel like my ovaries be the size of like grapefruit <laughs> <laughs> it just hurt too bad for me but I understand it, like you if your ovaries are not swollen or is it ovary it's something up there be swollen where I mean, just not take <laughs> it around that time. <laughs> I'm sorry in my sex ed class it was I mean this tells you how long ago it was well this tells you how much technology has changed because it was an overhead projector and they had the little mm-hmm. they had the little uh, transparent sheets that they were putting there and I remember seeing a picture of a penis and thinking like that is ugly and disgusting and then you know they like tell you about the STDs and like oh and it'll you know you'll be leaking out this and da, 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 this and that and I was just like this is disgusting and so between that experience in like fifth grade 
my mom telling me not to have sex and then being shamed because my body was developed and um, being shamed by a family member who thought that I was having sex. I didn't have sex until college because I was just, I was like so ashamed to do it. And then I literally, when I did have sex, it was me literally deciding like, I don't want to be a virgin anymore. Like I don't want this, this, I felt like there was a stigma about being a virgin too. Mm-hmm. So then when I did start having sex, I had no idea what I was doing. I had no idea to, I feel like I'm just now kind of, I'm 29. I'm just now coming into being able to verbalize what I need during sex or like, even understands like what an orgasm is or the difference between is there a difference between a woman having an orgasm and coming they're this that's the same thing they're just like interchangeable okay yeah they're in, they're interchangeable i always wondered that because i because somebody told me that you can come without orgasm or without having an orgasm so like same thing. i feel like people associate orgasm with like those songs that just be like out of the world out of this world. <laughs> I think that's what people associated with it, um, just in like the social world. But I'm wondering, like, you know, for, you know, so many women say they haven't reached an orgasm before. And personally, I feel like it's because they haven't really masturbated. But do you have any advice to women as far as like exploring their body and all that? Masturbate for sure. <laughs> that's a big thing because, and, and of course, I don't want to push it on anyone too fast. Like I always want to be careful of that. If someone is very shy about their sexuality and like has never really explored their body, then reading up on how do you even do that is probably a good start. Finding out like what would be comfortable, like how do you masturbate? How do you find out what feels good to you? But I think women need to do that because how can you explain to a partner what is going to make you have an orgasm if you don't really know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, th- I think that's really, really important to do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I think like the whole orgasm come thing, um, it, like I said, it's interchangeable, at least to me, it's interchangeable. I've used them interchangeable. I've never heard anyone use them as separate terms. Um, but like, you know, women might have an orgasm more than once during sex. And then it's viewed as like, oh, men have their one orgasm and then they're done. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so, um, I think maybe that's where some confusion can get in. Like, oh, you can have multiple orgasms, but only come once. Like, to me, they're the same term. <laughs> okay, so, that makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. Well, I think that's all that we covered a lot. I don't know if I, I don't know if I have any other particular questions. Do you have any particular questions? <laughs> um, I don't know. I feel like I'm kind of shook about the slavery thing still. Yes, I'm very shook about that because like what in the world? That was mind blowing. Um, Let me think. Oh, okay. How do you communicate your needs to your partner in a way that's respectful, um, but still, you know, firm on, on what you need, especially when we're working with like men or just anyone that has like a fragile ego towards sex? Because I think everybody thinks like, oh, well, you're satisfied because you haven't said anything before, but now, what, we're, we're 10 years into a marriage and now you all mm-hmm. of a sudden want something different? Like, what in the world? So how do you, what's, what's the best way to approach that? The best way is, is definitely you want to you um, say it in a way that comes from a place of what, of what you're looking for, what you're needing. So you never want to blame them. You never want to say like, man, I wish you would do this more. Like you never do that. Right. You never want to start off that way. And some people do, they're like, I really wish you would do X, Y, and Z. And it's like, well, that's probably not the best way to explain to them. Right. And so you want to say 
what you need and why, and you want to tie it back into your experiences with them. So instead of making it about like, you should do X, Y, and Z so that I feel pleasure. It needs to be like, you should do X, Y, and Z so we can feel more pleasure together. Mm. Like this is a mutual experience. This is about mutual pleasure. If you did this, I think I would feel like off the charts amazing. And then that would make both of us feel more amazing. Like maybe the sex go on longer if that happens. And really whatever the situation may be, tying it back into like where they're still involved in the pleasure. That Mm. would be my advice. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot. Yeah. I mean, I'm just thankful my sex life is blown right now. <laughs> well, lucky, so, lucky you. It took a while, y'all. It took a while. It's been a drought over here, so she's speaking for herself. <laughs> <laughs> oh, one more thing. So I'm assuming with you being a sex therapist, you um, probably see clients that have been sexually assaulted in some form. Um, do you think that those... Um, do you think that it's possible to have like a unhealed or unresolved block because of being sexually assaulted? Oh, I totally think that's true. And I think, um, depending on the person, depending on the community they come from, if like this type of trauma has ever been discussed before, like we talk, we've been talking about like the black community today. And sometimes there might be individuals, both male or female or anybody that has gone through a sexually traumatic experience, but maybe has not talked about it before. Maybe it just wasn't talked about. Maybe it was, you know, brushed under the rug, whatever it may be. And then if they come in, because when they come in, I'll usually do kind of a sexual history just to find out like what their experiences have been, what messages have they received from their family. And a lot of times what I find is that if there is a struggle with sex and there's been a traumatic experience that's never been discussed, there probably is some kind of block there, right? I would imagine there's some discomfort if, you have been abused before and maybe, and a lot of people might even think it's still their fault. Maybe they don't deserve to talk about it. And then a lot of that results in shame and guilt. And if you feel shame and guilt, you don't really feel sexy, right? You're not really wanting to have great sex because you don't even feel good about yourself. That's often what I find is that a lot of times leads to like low self-esteem, shame and guilt. Mm -hmm. I can get in the way. And another thing to point out about like just sex in the black community is a lot of black men tend to get their sex their virgin their virginity taken at a young age mm-hmm. um and not willingly like if you think about boosie little boosie how he had his yeah. get hit and stuff like that that happens a lot in a black community so i think that kind of contributes to like black men's hypersexuality too yeah and i think it's good just to recognize that that is abuse that is rape i think if it doesn't ever get recognized as that and it's just normal and then there's there's some kind of sexual block in the future. Sometimes all it takes is someone telling them you were abused. And they yeah. might be like, I was? Mm-hmm. Because it just seems so normal in their family, in that community. And, and someone from the outside saying, that's not healthy. That's right. That wasn't good for you. Yeah, that wasn't good for you. Yeah. And, and, and that alone can be so eye-opening. Like, wow, maybe I need help with this. Mm-hmm. Okay, last question, I swear. Uh, only, because, <laughs> only because you mentioned this, and I think that it's a topic that we kind of do need to be exposed more to. You um, you were going to say the P word, which is um, prostitute, but you stopped yourself and you said sex mm-hmm. workers. Yeah. So um, can you kind of, you know, quickly kind of differentiate between the two and, and kind of give like an idea to our listeners on what that is. I, I, I have recently 
um, seen a lot of talk about sex workers and rights for sex workers. And it's kind of like, you know, I feel like it's the restart of the LBGQ community fight because we're, you know, you just like, wait, what? Like, how do I understand this? Where did this come from, et cetera? Yeah, so I almost did say prostitute. And then I was like, we don't call them prostitutes anymore. We call them sex workers. So that's like I was saying earlier, you say the wrong pronoun, you say the wrong name. I do slip up sometimes just because I've always heard prostitute for 30 years, right? And so just recently, I'm sorry that starting to hear the term sex workers a lot more. Now it's referring to the same people, right? So there's no difference. Like if you hear someone say prostitute, they're really talking about a sex worker. The reason why we want to say sex worker is because we're identifying them based on their occupation and not by this stigma that they're trash, basically. Because when you hear about prostitutes or people have spoken about prostitutes in the past, they're just less than human almost. Like they're only good for sex. That's all they're good for. They're not even human. They don't, they don't even matter. When crimes happen against prostitutes, no one really cares. Because it's like, well, they're prostitutes. They're out on the street. They're putting themselves in that situation. Well, that's not really fair, right? Because their occupation is a sex worker and we should refer to them as what they're doing for a living. And to me, using the, using the term sex worker, it kind of removes the stigma. It's like, I'm seeing you as a person, mm-hmm. not as a prostitute that like I shouldn't care about. And yeah. it's crazy that we have this stigma because it's like, oh, sex workers um, are like less than. They're only good for sex. That's all we're going to view them as. It's just like basically a pussy to fuck, right? It's kind of just to be perfectly frank about how people view them. But yet we don't question any of the men that go and pay sex workers to have sex with them. Like that part is okay. Like the guys who, who pay to have sex with these sex, sex workers, that's okay. And a lot of politicians do it. You've heard of all of these stories of these like huge politicians that have had sex with sex workers, sex workers, that's okay. But we're only gonna stigmatize the women that are getting paid for sex. And to me, it's just not not fair, it's not right. And so I do I do think like sex workers is just such a more accurate yeah. way to identify them. Yeah, you said and you, in my head, I have two different pictures. Cause like, like you said, when we hear prostitute, I think of like a woman who may do hard drugs, who like walks Mm -hmm. the streets, who like Mm -hmm. nobody cares about. It's kind of like the crackhead on the street. Like you don't know if the, if they get shot and killed, like nobody's worried about the crackhead because they, they did crack. When I hear sex worker, I think of like, that's what you do for work, but you could also Mm -hmm. be a mother. You could also be like a dog mom, uh, you know, somebody's best friend, somebody's sister. So like, Mm -hmm. right. That makes me. That makes me think about it because um, my grandma, she was a sex worker and everybody always told me that she was a prostitute, like on my dad's side. And just like, as I started using sex worker more, it, I never, I never met her because she died mm-hmm. before I was born, but it does help like humanize her a little bit more. Yeah. That was when I was told at first, I was just like, ew, like, you know what I mean? But now I'm just like, okay, it helps humanize her a little bit more. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, like the word like prostitute hooker, you do just think of like drug addicts that are on the corner of the street just waiting for, you know, the next guy to come and get them paid. And, and it's just not a fair representation of who they are as people. And then we talk about crimes against them. You know, sex workers can't go into a police station and say I was raped. Because because of people's view, it's like, well, that's what you do for a living. So what does it matter? And it's like, sex workers still consent, though. 
right? When they do this for work, they're consenting to do it. So crimes can still happen against them. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people don't think that, that it can. And it's like, we need to separate those. Two. Like, they are still people that can have crimes committed against them. Um, and we need to protect them when that does happen. And unfortunately, it doesn't happen all the time. Mm. Yeah. That's true. That's true. Absolutely true. So this was a great discussion. Um, so yeah. thank you Learned for joining so us, But we still have one more part. So we're going to go sure. ahead and get into asking for a friend. Okay, so for asking for friend, um, I have a couple letters that surround sex. So Lindsay can help us give some good advice to some of our listeners. So the first one says, hi. Desiree, give me a name. Is it uh, him or her? Her. Uh, Sabrina. Okay, Sabrina said... I'm an introverted woman casually seeing seeing an introverted man. We've known each other for about eight months, met on Tinder, started dating and having sex. A couple months into dating, he said that he's struggling with commitment issues and fear of getting hurt from his past relationships. And in parentheses, she put, are we surprised? And therefore isn't interested in getting um, interested in more than regular casual sex. I agree because we're in a pandemic and I viewed it as a good opportunity to get some action without taking up a lot of time, a lot of my time or thoughts. Problem is that now it is taking up a lot of my time and thoughts. (laughs) And I think I may starting to develop feelings and I'm worried I'll be the one that will get hurt. I'll be willing to wait for this to turn into a more committed relationship but I would hate for it to be a waste of my time to continue, especially after the pandemic when I have more options. We see each other about once a week. I always spend the night. We have interesting conversations and the sex is good. When we're together, he is incredible. He's incredible. And I really mean incredible, Um, affectionate, romantic. And sometimes I feel like there is love for me somewhere in there. But even if that may be true, I feel like he may never act on this as we've already established our arrangement and I feel like he wouldn't go back on this. Basically, my question is, do you think there's a chance for this to turn into something more long-term committed or do I need to leave before I get myself hurt? From what I've heard, from what I've read and heard, I can't really expect a happy ending to this, but I'm curious about your opinions. So to be perfectly frank, I would say it's kind of a waste of time. Usually when men say, I'm not ready for a commitment, I'm struggling. I don't, I think I just want to keep it casual. I would take them for at their word. I don't think he's going to change his mind. Um, And especially if you're already staying over once a week and he's very sweet and affectionate, but then at the end of the day, he's still saying he doesn't want to commit. It's like, what's going to make him change his mind at this point? Um, And so nothing against Sabrina, but if I was her... I always recommend taking men at their word for that, right? Because what he's saying is not matching his actions. Like the affection and being sweet and like having good conversations, those are things you do in a committed relationship, but he's still saying, I'm not ready for a committed relationship. So you may never find out what's going on in his mind, but I would look out for yourself first and take him at his word for that. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, But also to play devil's advocate. (laughs) Bro. 
Now, I was about to say devil's advocate. Um, for them, I think 90% of the time when men say that, they that's exactly what they mean. Mm-hmm. Like, they want something casual. Um, but I will say with my current, current relationship, kind of started out that way um, but, but definitely also a bully so unless you're a bully <laughs> I am a bully but I also cut him off too and it just I don't know and he wouldn't leave me alone like I, I tried to cut off the situation he kept talking like he was just like no I want I want a relationship I want it to work out and all that I don't know I just think it depends but I think for the most part when guys say that they do literally mean they just want to have casual sex well, and I think your situation is different because you changed the situation. It was like, well, I'm going to cut you off. This isn't working for me. So the dynamic changed, right? I think if, if someone like Sabrina just keeps up with this regular routine, well, then he gets to have whatever he wants, right? Like what's, there's mm-hmm. nothing changing. So mm-hmm. I think that's a big difference is that you changed that dynamic and he came around like, oh shit, like I got to <laughs> get it together. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, think, <laughs> like, I, think I am a bully, happened. though. I was like, forget you. <laughs> it's so many other men out here that want me. <laughs> yeah, but I, I think you have to approach it in a genuine way as well and be serious. So if you're going to say it, so if, if this, if Sabrina is looking for a relationship, then this person has blatantly told you that's not what they're looking for. You need to stop it before it gets any deeper. And before any more of your feelings get involved and move on. And, but you have to be genuine. You can't just say, oh, I'm going to stop talking to him in hopes that he's going to come back running and want a relationship with you. You have to truly, truly mean that. And when Devin did it, she truly, truly meant that. Like she was, she was moving on with her life. So, um, and I think that's the difference because, you know, I think a lot of men say it to protect themselves for one, because yeah. maybe they are looking for a relationship, but they're just not sure if it's you right now. So they're not going to say, I am looking for one because they might not get the true you. They might get your representative, you know, you putting your best foot forward to get a relationship out of them. So I think a lot of men just say that to cover their bases. And then they meet someone who changed their mind. Just like we see men, you know, casually having sex with a woman, not want a relationship, kind of string her along. And then she finally cuts him off and then he's like engaged to someone in the next six months. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's just all about what they want. And, you know, ultimately, yeah. And you can't decide that for this guy. Mm-hmm. So, I think a lot of times as women, we kind of take that as personal. Like, why wouldn't he want to be with me? Um, I have X, Y, Z going on. And then we see he get with somebody else and we're kind of like, well, I've had the same things as her. And I don't think it, you know, people be like, if he wanted to be with you, he would or stuff like that. I really don't think it's necessary that sometimes, most of the time I think it's really timing. Mm -hmm. I personally feel like it's timing and like what they have going on and what they're ready for at the moment. I I think timing plays a factor too because that's happened to me before I've definitely been in casual situations that I wish would go further and I held on too long and then it didn't and then my feelings get hurt and then you do take it personally because you're like well what's wrong with me why won't they want to commit to me but Mm -hmm. now I look and I'm like I'm a fucking catch so like that's your loss right I'm like I mean there's nothing I can do to change your mind about that (laughs) 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 and what's your and you know that exudes confidence like if you can walk away and be like you've made it clear to me this isn't going to be serious I'm going to walk away that exudes confidence and like that confidence Mm -hmm. can really make someone look at you like 
damn. Because if you don't really walk away and you're kind of just holding on for things to maybe work out, then that guy mm-hmm. knows that you're always going to be around. Yeah. You know, you're setting yourself up to be an option sometimes. Mm -hmm. So So don't take my story and be like, okay, well, I'm going to walk away and hopefully he he stays around. Mm -hmm. No, you literally got to like make up and walk away. And that's what I had to do. I was sad about it. I was like, well, if he don't want to do this, then I might as well move around. Like, what am I saying? And it has to look different as well, because now that y'all have had this casual relationship, let's say you cut him off and he does come back running and saying that he wants to have a relationship it can't just be the words it has to present differently too mm-hmm. to you differently wanting a relationship than how he did just the casual sex like so I think she mentioned seeing him once a week and he's incredible you, you need to be seeing him more than once a week if, uh-huh. if he now wants a relationship with you you need to like, outside your bedroom right you need to have dates like it needs to be a, a pursuant of you versus like just the convenience of you so just keep yeah. that in mind too. So because a lot of guys play games and they'll say, oh no, well, maybe I do want a relationship. No, it has to make sure you get them yeah, action. They, they will play games. Like you do yes. have to like feel them out for a little bit and see what's different if you do decide to go back with them. So yeah. That one hit home for us. Like we all <laughs> we all been there. Uh-huh. So I have another letter, and this one is very interesting. The um, subject is female unicorn seeking first-time group sex advice. Okay. <laughs> so I don't know if I can give advice, but right, listen, maybe listen, you can. <laughs> Do y'all know what a unicorn is? Yes. Okay. No. Um, uh, the third person that come into a threesome, right? Yeah, it's it's usually like a bisexual woman that cut that like has sex with a couple. Um, mm-hmm. and they're, they're, you know, like the term unicorn is because a lot of times like this couple will want the unicorn to come in and like have sex with them, but have no partners of their own, really no strings anywhere else. And it's called a unicorn because like, it, it's almost like a mythical creature. It's like, you know, it's most people have their find. own partners and so it's mm-hmm. hard to find and most people have their own partners and stuff. So yeah, okay. it's a little bit. I just thought she liked unicorns. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a whole, it's a whole thing in the sex world. Yeah. Um. So, give me a name, a female name. Jessica. Jessica. Okay. So Jessica said, "Hi, I'm a 30 female single bisexual unicorn, and I've been exploring my bisexual bisexuality and overall sexual expression." through a large swinging site in my area. Area, I've been fortunate enough to have had some very positive threesome experiences, all male, female, female, with established couples. I consider myself still green, but I make up for it with a keen sense of intuition, open-mindedness, and empathy. Okay, empathy. Recently, one of, one of the couples suggested bringing in another couple whose identity has not been agreed on um, for a group session at a hotel, making it five people, including myself, because they think it will be a fun new experience for us all. Prior to, I have hesitated to accept it, accept invitations for group events. Questions in my mind include, how does a unicorn conduct themselves in a group scenario? How do I anticipate the needs of and pay attention to more than two people at the same time? Can I reliably satisfy four people and myself? What if I'm left behind as the I went out during play as might happen if couples naturally gravitate towards one another? These questions seem easy for me to answer for threesome, but I'm finding it hard to come up with answers or a guiding roadmap for group scenarios. 
any feedback will be appreciated. Yeah, I think she's going to have to talk to both couples about it. You almost have to come to almost like an agreement before the play happens. Mm -hmm. Because if you have concerns, those are going to come up in the middle of the group sex. And then that's not going to be a good time, right? Like Mm -hmm. if you're feeling some kind of way and it comes up while you're all in that hotel room, that's Mm -hmm. not the best time to suddenly bring these up. She said that the other couple like wasn't identified, but I would say they need to be identified prior to for her comfort because she mm-hmm. her needs matter too I think that's the thing that maybe a unicorn can feel like how am I going to please everybody well how is she going to be pleased as well during this play so I I honestly think it would all the questions she had very valid very good questions though that's what I would be asking both couples prior to this actually happening and I think you can kind of build a roadmap with everybody mm-hmm. involved that would be my advice because it all depends on the couples and what they want yeah, this is not my expertise, but I would say communication. <laughs> it's all about communication. It's all about mm-hmm. communication because you don't want it to happen in the middle and suddenly you're upset and you want to leave the room and then no one knows what's going on. So doing mm-hmm. all of that prior to is so important. I would mm-hmm. say that's key. Do yeah. you have couples that come in that are interested in things like that? Yeah, yeah, I've seen poly couples or couples that are in open relationships. And um, we kind of call it agreements, like you come up with agreements beforehand. Um, And I know people are like, Oh, well, that's not sexy. They have to like talk it out and agree on everything. But actually, it can be really sexy to talk about it beforehand, because you decide like, what you need and what you want, and like how that's going to look and like, what are the boundaries that are set? um, Mm -hmm. That need to happen like during the play. And so all of that beforehand, it always needs to happen because when it doesn't, people can, their feelings can get hurt. They can be confused. And then like, um, it's kind of hard to talk about those things in the middle of it happening because mm-hmm. then like, what do you do with that? You know, you can yeah, like, yeah. 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 So definitely, like you said, communication is key. Yeah. And I think, um, well, I don't have much expertise in this field, but one thing that did stick out in the letter was her question about how is she supposed to please now four people instead of just um, two. And I think that it's important to take the pressure off of yourself because like mm-hmm. everybody has a role when it comes to sex, mm-hmm. like how we talked about before, like your orgasm is like your responsibility. So, you know, you can't be expected to, you know, it's, I think it's a different setup when it's just a group sex event versus where you're that person that's expected to perform. So I think, you know, that that will come into the communication part with the agreement of like, I'm not just here to please you couples. I'm here to have sex and enjoy myself as well. So, you know, everybody has a job and we all need to, to put forth effort. Mm -hmm. Spot on. Cause their pleasure matters too. If they leave that, if they leave this group sex, sex experience and they didn't have one ounce of pleasure and all they did was perform, like, why would they want to do it again? Yeah. So exactly. there's definitely matters just as much as the couples do. Yeah. I agree. Unicorns matter. <laughs> yes. Unicorns <laughs> they matter. They do. They do. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, that's all the letters we have for today. Um, so Lindsay, if you want to just kind of give us your social media and how people can find you, if they want to come for a session, how they go about that and all that. 
Yeah. So I'm on social media, um, Facebook and Instagram, sex therapy with Lindsay. And my practice is called relationship matters therapy. And so you can find me on psychology today or therapy den just under that practice name. My website should be done soon. I really think by the end of the month, my website will be out and I'll be sure to let you know when that's ready to go for people, people to check out. Okay. Well, I think that's pretty much it for today. Thank you for joining us today, Lindsay. And we shall talk soon. Talk And also, gang, remember to follow us on Instagram, selfcare.gang, Twitter, selfcaregangpod, um, Facebook, selfcaregang. Leave us good reviews, subscribe. And we will talk to y'all next week. <laughs>